0: Good morning everybody. If you'll take a seat. We're going to read God's Word together. If you'd like to turn to Exodus chapter 33, we'll be reading from verse 18 and then a few verses in 34. So 18 to the end of the chapter and then verses 5 to 7 in chapter 34. And it obviously will be on the screen behind me. (laughs) Moses said, Please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I show mercy. But my face shall not be seen. Verse 5. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. This is God's word.
1: Hey, will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to come and to to hear it. I pray that uh, your word would work in our hearts this morning, uh, that you would use me uh, to faithfully proclaim it, and that your spirit would be at work um, helping us to hear, to understand, to receive, and to follow your word. Uh, Father, we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So as a church, as we've said already, we are going through a series to start off this year um, called Compassion That Compels, and we really want to see the compassionate heart of our God and see how that changes everything for us, and it compels us to to love him and to love others. Last week we started off this series and we looked at the story that's known as the story of the prodigal son, uh, but what we saw in that story really was the, the wonderful, compassionate embrace of the Father. And that's God's embrace for us. We saw that in Christ, God's posture towards us is not a pointed finger of condemnation, but it is open arms of compassion. And I hope you've been thinking about that this week, if you were here last week, and, and just been mindful in the challenges and, and hassles and things of everyday life and, and work. Uh, that God is compassionate towards you. And we're going to continue and sort of look at a different aspect of God's compassion this morning. We're going to look how his compassion is glorious. Okay, and to do that, I firstly want to sort of introduce us by just getting us to think a little bit about glory and and how we seek and search after glory, because I think that will be helpful for us to then see what's so significant and wonderful about God's glory. So I want you to consider, and I've got some examples, of of times when you experience something glorious. So you might get a a glimpse of glory when you see uh, the stunning beauty of a sunset, when you're coming home from a dreary day at work, maybe in the awe of the starry heavens on a night when you can't sleep. I mean, I wouldn't be able to sleep with a star like that anyway. A deeply moving story, a movie or a song, that touches something deep within your heart. The warmth of a smile when you're questioning the goodness of humanity. The words, I love you, when you're feeling unlovable. And the feeling of satisfaction from a job well done. Yeah, Uh, yeah, I did notice with that picture the job's actually not done yet. (laughs) (laughs) These glimpses of glory, they can arouse within us a brief, for a brief moment an awareness and a reminder of the glory that was ours from God in the beginning. A glory that comes from being made in the image of God because we're made to be glorious. But it's a glory that we've lost. We lost it. Romans 1 says that we've exchanged the glory of God for lesser things. It goes on to say, we worship and serve ourselves rather than God. In other words, we we go through, we search life's internet to find the glory we've lost in different experiences, in, in different relationships, in different causes. That's why this passage is so important for us. It's a seminal passage in the Bible. It's it's possibly one of the most quoted sort of passages in in the whole of the scriptures. Um, Because in it, Moses asked God to show him, to display his glory. God does. And his response in this passage is absolutely astounding. I think, I, I hope, as we see it, we're probably used to it. But it really is astounding how God displays his glory. So today we're going to go through three points. Uh, the first one is we're going to look through the, this passage that Beck read out and just have a look at what displays God's glory. Then we're going to actually see that we can't see God's glory naturally. We see that in, in Moses in this story, how he had to be hidden because he, he couldn't sort of come face to face with God. That's causes a problem for us. So in the third point, we're going to see how God actually shows his glory for us and he brings us into that. Okay, so let's start with going through the passage and what displays God's glory. In verse 18, Moses asks God, It's a good question, can you show me your glory? And God responds there, I will make all of my goodness pass before you. It's actually a fascinating response, isn't it? That that God's going to pass before, show the glory, and it's going to be his goodness. And the goodness here is not merely a description of of God, although it is what he is, um, good, but it also is is what sort of flows out of God. We can expect God to to not only be good, but to to show us his goodness. It's interesting, if you think of of Genesis 1, that's the account where God created the heavens and the earth, he created everything. The the rhythm throughout that, that chapter of the Bible is that God saw that it was good, right? We often think that God is glorious in his greatness and his majesty and his power, and and that's true. But what most displays God's glory and what he wants is to, to show and reveal his goodness. It's interesting, isn't it? Now, it goes on there in that passage to talk about his name and how he's displayed in his grace and mercy. I'm going to go down to the part that Beck read from verse 34 because it, it repeats those things um, but it also explains a little bit more about God's goodness. Now, so the, the first passage in, in 33 is, is when God says, I will pass by you. This one in 34 is when God's actually passing by Moses. And I just want to take us through this description a little bit. It's really, really helpful. Um, firstly, God says his name. And he actually repeats it there, the Lord, the Lord. Now, when you read in your Bibles, the Lord in all capitals, that's standing for God's personal name that he gave his people. So it's it's Yahweh. Uh, and it's, it's a name that he gave to show that he is a personal God uh, and that he is a faithful covenant-keeping God. So his people were able to call him by this name. He's known as God Almighty uh, but but they they were brought into a personal relationship with him, and this is the name that they were to use and he and he gives it to them in the context of that he is the god of, of the covenant of the promises that he is going to keep with his people and he goes on to to explain that he is a God merciful and gracious now that that is used so often in the Bible that we can sort of get used to it. But I just want to pause and, and think of these two words that are used here to describe who our God is, merciful and gracious. Mercy is to not give what is deserved uh, for the, the, the bad things that we've done. Right? So, so when we haven't been good, it is God would, would not give us what we deserve for our lack of goodness or our ungoodness. And grace is giving us good things that we don't deserve. So you see how they, they go together. Uh, on one hand, God's not giving us what we do deserve for our ungoodness, but he's actually giving us good things. Right? Uh, it, it goes on to say uh, that he is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Uh, in Dane Ortland in, in the book Gentle and Lowly, he, he talks about how this phrase really shows that, that God is asymmetrical. Um, I just wanted to use that term because it's sort of mathematical and stuff. But it's, it's, um, it, it's showing that... So what, what Dane Ortland says is that um, you know, when, when we speak of God's anger and wrath in the Bible, if you actually read it, he needs to be provoked to, to anger. All right? So he's long-suffering uh, where, whereas his love and his his faithfulness just just abound, they they come out of him, right? It's not we often think that those are sort of two equal things, but actually his tendency is asymmetric towards wanting to show love to um, do that. Now his, his righteous anger, and we see this picked up again where there is going to be uh, he doesn't clear the guilty. Um, th- that is that is actually God's goodness in that in that a, a good God has to do something about evil he cannot he cannot let evil stand right so so God is concerned sins cannot go un unpunished that is part of what god's goodness is but you see how it's asymmetric in that he wants to share us with his love and kindness and compassion it says there that he um, verse seven um, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will know me... Oh, sorry. Oh, start of verse 7. Keeping steadfast love for thousands. Okay? So, so there's a there's real asymmetry again between three and four generations and thousands. Now, that, that number thousands, often this is translated thousand generations. Uh, but that thousand, as you see it in the Bible, is, is quite often used as sort of a complete number. So another place where it's used, um, we see that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. It's not like he doesn't own the the cattle on the thousand and first hill, he he does. It's sort of a number that that is completeness. We see that same number in the book of Revelation as well for the the time until Jesus Christ will return. So here we're seeing the the completeness of God showing his love and faithfulness to, to all those that he has chosen. So to summarise this, and I know we've sort of passed through it really quickly, but this passage here just wonderfully and beautifully shows that God's posture towards us is compassion and goodness, that that comes out of him naturally. That is who he is. I think when we listen to this description... I wonder, is it really our first instinct that God is going to show love and compassion and kindness? I don't think it is. I think even as we read this, we we tend to focus on the fact that God does get angry, that God doesn't clear the guilty, uh, that there's consequences given even to great-grandchildren. I think a big part of that is because... We know deep down that there's judgment and condemnation that we deserve. We know that we have rebelled against the the almighty God. It's also the judgment and condemnation that Moses and the Israelites deserved. So this passage in Exodus 33 if you, you read your Bibles, I invite you to, even if you've got them open, just, just before this happens, uh, the whole nation of Israel has sinned against God. Uh, you can see there the story of the golden calf, where they've exchanged God and, and bowed down and worshipped an idol. The judgment is deserved, but what we desperately need and what we've seen in this description that God, God wants to display is his goodness, his mercy, his grace, his forgiveness. So you just see the problem here. And we see the problem in the text. Uh, in, in the text, we see that we can't see God's glory. Right? Moses can't see it directly. We see that in verse, uh, verse number 20. I won't read the whole description, but in verse 20, God says to Moses, You cannot see my face. Because man shall not see me and live. Do you see the, the, the problem here? Uh, that what we need, what, what we desire is to, to see and be in God's glory. Uh, but to, to see that directly, to see God directly, would mean death. There's examples in, in the Bible where just that happens. In fact, in my Bible reading plan this week, goes up to Leviticus chapter 10 and two sons of Aaron, so the, the high priest, Moses' brother, two of his sons, uh, they, they try and enter into the, the holy place in the tabernacle in a way that, that isn't right and they die. Right? Sinful humanity is, is unable to enter into the presence of the holy God. And the problem is, is that God is so good and in one of that, we are so bad. Uh, sinful people cannot come into the presence of the Holy God. Uh, the, the whole context of, of this passage here, um, Moses has just given the designs of the tabernacle. That's the, the meeting place where God is going to be with his people. Uh, but but the whole description is all around how God wants to be with his people, but his holiness means that that for him to be directly with his people, they would die. Uh, so there's there's all sorts of regulations and sacrificial system and so forth to enable a holy, pure, good God to live with a people who are anything but. And we think when we, we see that, hang on, if, if God's good and and we're sort of not getting to see and be a part of his glory directly, isn't he withholding something good from us? Well, he is. That's right. But the problem is that if we come directly into the presence of a holy God, we will die. Now, the best example I could think to, to share and explain this is actually from um, the concentration camps in World War II. Uh, many of you would be familiar with uh, in, in World War II, it' was a terrible time in history, and, and many people were imprisoned uh, in concentration camps. And the conditions in the concentration camps were, were absolutely horrific. Uh, people were completely malnourished. Um, it's just a, a tragedy of, of humans sin and evilness against one another. Now there's, there's one concentration camp, actually it's famous for the fact that it was the concentration camp where Anne Frank died. Now it was liber- liberated early in 1945 and there were about 60,000 people that were, were liberated right, When the, the allies went in. But tragically, 14,000 of them perished within days of being liberated. What's even more tragic is is the reason that many of them perished was that the Allied soldiers, out of compassion and wanting to to help feed, actually went without their own rations to, to give it to these poor, hungry, malnourished people. But the people themselves, because they were so malnourished, the goodness of the food that they needed actually killed them. There's a quote there from the BBC report about it. But isn't it just heartbreaking? The very thing that they needed, the nourishment and the food that they needed, uh, when they had too much of it, uh, actually killed them. So how does God, whose very heart is to to pour out his goodness, to, to give us his goodness, how does he do that? when for us to come face to face with his goodness would would mean that we perish? Well, this brings us to our our third point. How does God show his glory to us? Because the problem is that we, um, by nature, can't go directly into the holiness of God. So God took on human flesh and came to dwell amongst us, to show us and lead us in us into his goodness and his compassion i just want to show you a few passages from the the new testament that show how jesus is the the glory of god revealing his goodness to us in in john chapter 1 verse 14 uh it says the word became flesh now the word in john chapter 1 is talking about jesus he was god and he was with god in the beginning um, so he's the communication of the word, the communication of God to us, to humanity. He became flesh and dwelt among us. Uh, in, the, in the Greek, that's, that's using the terminology of tabernacled among us. Right, so he's, he's God with us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus is the one that is, has come in human form to bring and demonstrate and show the glory of God and to bring us into it. And we see another example of this in John chapter 2, verse 11. So in this passage here, Jesus has just done a, a miracle. And it says, Jesus did this miracle in Canaan and Galilee and manifested his glory. And you read through the different miracles, the different things that Jesus does, the, the healing of the sick the you know recovering of a sight to the blind, the casting out of demons and, and evil. As we see in all of these different miracles, his goodness is coming forth. Right? It's overcoming the, the sin and brokenness of, of the world. Right? Jesus is God's glory. Bring his goodness for us. Now in John chapter 17, Jesus prays an amazing prayer. Uh, this is the night before he laid down his life. Uh, it says there in verse 1, Jesus had spoken these words. He lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Now the hour there, all through John's gospel, the hour is talking about when Jesus is going to die. All right, so all leading up to Jesus' going to lay down his life on the cross. And the connection there is that that is his glory because it is there where he shows the goodness and the compassion of God. It's there where he takes the punishment that our sins deserve, where he takes the full anger and wrath of God, There's deserved punishment for sin. He takes that completely and he gives us and he clothes us In his righteousness and goodness. Now, this is a gift of his grace and his mercy that we would not get the punishment that we deserve, but instead we get the goodness and the holiness that Christ has won for us. To bring us into his holiness, Jesus stepped into our hopelessness. Do you see how uh, this passage in in Exodus, it it declares that the glory of God is in his goodness. But it also shows us that there's a problem that all humanity faces, that, that we actually can't directly go into it. And so God himself stepped into our hopelessness. He stepped into our sin uh, he stepped into to this world as human flesh to not only show his goodness, to not only bring it, but to give it to us so that we could forever be in his presence. There's two things that I, I just want to call you to, two ways I call you to respond uh, if your heart has been captured with the, the goodness and the compassion that God has shown us in his glory And that is, firstly, to rejoice in God's glory. See, unlike Moses, we are able, because of Christ, because of his mediating work, we can bask in the full glow of God's goodness and radiant glory. We are forgiven. We are no longer condemned. In fact, there is now now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Now, it's amazing to think that that passage I just quoted is from Romans chapter 8. In Romans chapter 7, Paul is talking about his wrestle as a Christian with sin. But then he reminds himself, and I would encourage you to read all of Romans chapter 8 because he reminds himself that there's, there is no condemnation for those in Christ, that there is no love. We cannot be separated from the love of God in Jesus Christ. I think tragically, are many who have received Christ. Still, sort of think that we can go in and out of proper relationship with Him. We can sort of do something bad, and then and then we're not in His love and compassion, and we we need to come back into it. That is not the case. We in Christ are in His compassion always, right? His His posture towards us when we sin isn't one of of judgment and condemnation. It is one of a loving Father wanting to see. And his, his children understand and know his compassion. He wants to see us change and become more like Jesus. We cannot be out of his compassion and his goodness as we're in Christ. And we are called to rejoice in this. I think um, part of the challenge is that, that because of sin, uh, we've got this posture. Our guilt of all the ways that we've, we've offended God sort of blind us from his compassion. There's our shame, which is buried deep within, expects us, expects that God will judge, that He will seek retribution. In our sinful state, we're tempted to have these dark, untrusting thoughts of God. We too, sort of because of our sin, we're asymmetrical. We find that we are slow to trust God's goodness. We're quick to assume that He doesn't love us when the truth is just the opposite. In, in Genesis chapter 3, when, the, when Adam and Eve ate the fruit, the thing of the heart behind that was that they were questioning whether God loved them, whether he really was good and wanted good for them. And that is the core of all of our sin. Uh, it's that we're questioning whether God loves us, whether he's truly for us. We think that we might find that in other things. But friends, know that he is for you, that he is compassionate for you, that his goodness is for you, and rejoice in it. So rejoice God's glory, and secondly, shine God's glory. See, after seeing just the back of God, you can read this further into Exodus chapter 34. After seeing just the back of God, Moses' face shone. Right, and it shone so much that he actually had to put a veil over his face so that the other, the other Israelites could sort of stand to see Moses. So the reflected glory of, of God's glory on Moses' face uh, was, was too much for the others to see. Now, as we gaze at the goodness of God in Christ, as we're quick to trust in his goodness, then we will reflect that goodness and that compassion. We, as followers of Christ, are called to shine God's glory. And again, we need to be reminded that his compassion is there with us as we do. We heard from Ronnie and Robbie before as they were saying we're seeking to to live as Christians in the workplace. It's not like we, we just receive God's compassion to become a Christian and then we're sort of on our own. Now, his compassion and his goodness means that his spirit is with us as we seek to live and to reflect and to shine his goodness in the world. Will you know that and will you seek to, to labour and to work and to, to share and to live as those that have received the goodness and the compassion of Jesus? Let's pray. Father, we, it's pretty amazing uh, spending some time really thinking about the, the heart of your compassion for us. And, and Father, I'm, it's been so, so good to be reminded again personally, and I, I pray that this is true for all of us, that, that you love us, that you are goodness, that your heart is for us. Father, I pray that you would remind us of this, that we would know that you are good. Father, I know that there are some here that are in hard and challenging circumstances. And it can be so tempting for us to question your goodness, to wonder what you're doing. Father, help us in the depths of our struggles with sin, our depths of our struggles with grief, Would you show us and remind us of your compassion? Father, would we be able to look to Jesus full of glory and know that your heart is one of compassion and goodness for us? And Father, I pray that we would rejoice in it. I pray that the goodness that you give us in your Son would flow through and out of us to those
0: around us. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.